You're listening to Comedy Central. Live from Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah presents Votegasm 2020, the last debate before the rest of the debates. presidential debate ended just moments ago, and we are coming to you live, people. 100% live. And I can prove it. This is how live we are. See this hourglass? See? The show just started. You see that? Yeah. Now, as we said, the seventh debate just ended. And with only six candidates, it was the smallest debate yet. But it was also the whitest debate yet. So, huh? Yeah, six candidates all of them white, which is amazing odds. I mean, even a carton of eggs will sometimes have a brown one thrown in accidentally. (laughs) So this is really special, really, really special. And for a party that started out so diverse, nobody wanted to see this happen. I mean, the only person happy about this was Greta Thunberg. Yeah, because the stage was so white, it reflected sunlight back into the atmosphere. (laughs) But white it or not, this was an important debate. It was held in Iowa, which is hosting the first primary vote just three weeks from now. And all the candidates are gearing up for the big day, including Bernie Sanders, who tried to pump his supporters up. And this was really adorable, right? He put this Instagram video out of him rolling out to Iowa. Wow, can you feel the energy? (laughs) I've never been so enthralled in my life. (laughs) Now, I'm not commenting on Bernie's driving. I just think it's funny that he thought this video would psych people up, you know? (laughs) It's almost like he shot that and he was like, did you see me Tokyo drift out of the driveway? (laughs) We gotta put this shit online right now. (laughs) In fact, I bet to us it was chilled out, but in Bernie's head, it looked like this. Fast and furious. (laughs) All right. Now, the upcoming Iowa primary wasn't the only thing looming over the debate. The big drama leading up to tonight was the growing tension between America's socialist sweethearts, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. It started when Bernie's campaign started saying that Warren only attracts rich and well-educated voters. And in response, Elizabeth Warren hit back, and now it is full-on beef. Gloves off, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders trade accusations ahead of the Democrats' final debate before voting in Iowa begins. That non-aggression pact between the party's two progressives certainly appears to be over. The campaign's now duking it out over a private conversation in 2018 when Sanders allegedly told Warren a woman can't win. Sanders denies the claims, calling the idea that he would say a woman couldn't win ludicrous. But then Warren contradicted him publicly. I thought a woman could win, she said. He disagreed. Oh, no. (laughs) Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. 
Those are the last people you'd ever expect to go after each other like this, man. It's like seeing R2-D2 and C-3PO become enemies. <laughs> I mean, they have so much in common. They're both on the same side, they're both robots, and they both deeply regret appearing in the sequels. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. We should have quit after the third one, my friend. <laughs> and to a lot of young Democrats, the beef between Bernie and Warren must feel like seeing your parents getting divorced, you know? Which is a situation that Bernie is too blunt to handle delicately. Can you imagine him? Be like, Daddy, is it my fault that you and Mommy don't love each other anymore? He's like, well, we were happy and then we had you. You do the math. <laughs> so with Bernie and Warren moving dangerously closer towards open warfare, it's not surprising that the candidates were asked about it at tonight's debate. And Bernie was adamant that he never said what they said. Senator Sanders, Senator Warren confirmed in a statement that in 2018, you told her that you did not believe that a woman could win the election. Why did you say that? Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. Anybody knows me, knows that it's incomprehensible that I would think that a woman could not be president of the United States. There's a video of of me 30 years ago talking about how a woman could become president of the United States. All right, this is completely true. Bernie does have a video that came out from 30 years ago, (laughs) all right? It's true, where he does, where he said, he said in the video, he thinks a woman could be elected president. Then again, we can't really know if this was recorded 30 years ago (laughs) because the guy has looked the same his entire life. Like, oh, for all we know, maybe every time Bernie gets in trouble, he just records a new video and then makes it look old. You know, like if someone accused him of hating dogs, all of a sudden a video would pop up of Bernie like, hello, it's 1985. And I wanna say, I definitely do not hate dogs. No matter what they say about me in 2020, I do not hate dogs. I said it today in 1985. Okay, I gotta go, my Uber's here. (laughs) So Bernie, Bernie was sticking to his story that he never said a woman can't be president. While Bernie was on the defensive, Elizabeth Warren attacked, saying that maybe none of these men could be presidents. I think the best way to talk about who can win is by looking at people's winning record. So, can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. (laughs) The only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women, Amy and me. on this stage who has beaten an incumbent Republican any time in the past 30 years is me. God (laughs) damn! Not since Kill Bill (laughs) have I seen one woman obliterate that many men (laughs) in one fell swoop. I mean, forget the wealth tax. Warren just deducted two balls from every man on that stage. That's what she did. Take two from you, take two from you. (laughs) So, Bernie says he didn't say it. Senator Warren says he did say it. And she definitely won this exchange, although it would have been a much cleaner victory if she didn't come back a few moments later to create one of the weirdest moments we've ever seen in a debate. Just to set the record straight, I defeated an incumbent Republican uh, running for Congress. When? 1990. That's how I won, beat a Republican congressman. (laughs) Number two, of course, I I don't think there's any debate up here. Wasn't it 30 years ago? 
I beat an incumbent Republican congressman. And I said, I was the only one who's beaten an incumbent Republican in 30 years. Well, 30 years ago, <laughs> it was 1990, as a matter of fact. But I don't know that that's the major issue of the day. Okay, that, that was the most unnecessary nitpicky argument you will ever see in a presidential debate. You know what it felt like? It felt like we were watching an old couple fight in a diner. That's what it looked like. You know, it was just like, I thought you said you were getting an appetizer. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm getting soup. That is an appetizer. No, soup is a side. No, if it comes before the meal, it's an appetizer. <laughs> My father was right. I should have married Stu Greenberg. I am Stu Greenberg. <laughs> So that was, a, that was a pretty tense moment between Warren and Sanders. But there was another tension that had to be addressed tonight. And that was between the US and Iran. And the question the candidates were asked was, why would they make a better commander in chief than the current commander in tweets? I sit on the Senate Armed Services Committee. I work with our generals, with our military leaders, with our intelligence. I am able to work with Republicans. I am able to bring people together. I've been in the U.S. Senate for over 12 years. I bring a different perspective. I worked internationally around the world for decades. I traveled, I met with governments, I met with businesses, and I understand how America interacts with other countries. Wait, hold up. So stumped Tom Steyer over here thinks he can be commander-in-chief because he went on a lot of business trips? Because <laughs> that's basically what he said. It's almost like he was like, that's right, vote for me, I'm Delta Diamond Medallion. <laughs> It's a weird reason, but, but look, to be fair to him, to be fair, Tom Steyer did go on to say that he thinks being commander-in-chief is more about judgment than experience. And I'll be honest, in that, I agree. Because here's my thing, every candidate makes it sound like they're experts on the military, when in reality, the generals give the president options and then the president just picks one. I don't care which president it is. Like, even Trump, when they conduct their, these operations, they give him options and then he picks. He's not planning the operation. He's not there like, okay, Alpha Team, you're gonna go in love. <laughs> and then pew, pew, pew. Then the bad guy's over the top. <laughs> then the grenade. And then you're gonna be like, ba, 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 ba. <laughs> and then I'll jump in and I'll be like, take Eric, take Eric. <laughs> and then we all win. We all win. That's not happening. That's not happening. Now. I'll be honest with you. Other than what we just saw, there wasn't much new in this debate. They touched on healthcare, trade policies, impeachment. And to be honest, it was more of the same. You know, Bernie wants Medicare for all. Biden thinks it's too much. Klobuchar says she can win Republican votes. Buttigieg says he brings something new to the job, which is a fake ID. <laughs> all in all, today's debate wasn't that exciting. And I guess this is what happens when you only have white people at your party. <laughs> You know, yeah, there's no Kamala to spice things up. There's no Corey to do the Carlton, you know? <laughs> there's no Andrew Yang making it rain. <laughs> so now the big question is, how will this debate affect the race going forward? Although, to be honest, I think the real question should be, do these debates even matter at all? Because if you think about it, the debates used to be the best way to get in front of the American people. But with two billionaires in the race, the game has changed. Just look at Tom Steyer, for instance. He's far from a household name. He has the charisma of a clipboard, but recent <laughs> polls, recent polls show him surging to second place in South Carolina and third in Nevada. 
and one guess for how he did it. So far, the candidates combined have spent $17 million on political ads just in the state of South Carolina. Of that $17 million, $14 million of it was spent by Tom Steyer. Same thing in Nevada. His Nevada-only ad spending is more than all of the ad spending by Biden, Warren, and Klobuchar combined nationwide. Yeah, that's right. Tom Steyer is spending more on ads in one state than other candidates have spent in their entire campaign. And clearly, it's having a big effect on the polls, which shows you how effective advertising can be. If you just show people something enough times, eventually they'll be like, yeah, I like that. (laughs) That's why Cheerios is a thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's the most popular cereal of all time, and it tastes like if bread farted. (laughs) And it's not just Tom Steyer who's using giant ad buys to jack up his poll numbers because the real blinking in this race is Michael Bloomberg. Mayor Bloomberg here, the former mayor of New York, has been spending big so far. You've seen all of his advertisements. He's expected to spend around 10 million as well during the Super Bowl. In total so far, he's on track right now to spend $200 million on advertisements by March. That is more than Barack Obama spent in the entirety of his 2012 campaign. And Bloomberg has said he would spend a billion dollars if, you know, if he needs to. Yeah. We are seeing some massive spending from Michael Bloomberg, former mayor of New York and Oompa Loompa with a Swiss bank account. (laughs) Because he's close to shelling out more in a few months than Obama spent in his entire campaign. And he said he's willing to throw down a billion dollars to beat Trump, a billion dollars. I mean, at that point, why not just offer Trump a billion dollars to step down? (laughs) He'll take it. I think he would take it. (laughs) Come on, the man is wearing a discount weave. We know he needs the money. (laughs) He needs that money. You offer him a billion dollars, he'll take it. And honestly, nobody knows if it'll stop at a billion dollars. It could be more. Bloomberg could go forever. The man is worth $60 billion and he doesn't mind spending his cash. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if pretty soon Bloomberg's ads were just taking us hostage. Like, they just started looking more like this. This is Mike Bloomberg, a successful mayor, a renowned businessman, and he's bought all the ads on every channel. If you don't vote for Mike, this will be all you see. Day after day, month after month, until you're begging for the MyPillow guy. If Mike loses even one primary, he'll take over all of TV. He'll host the Oscars. He'll be the new star of Blackish. He'll be the next Bachelor and all the Bachelorettes. So, if you want your TV back, you know who to vote for. I'm Mike Bloomberg. Don't be stupid, America. Oh, what a terrifying future. We'll be right back after this message from Mike Bloomberg. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a longtime Republican strategist and never Trump conservative. His latest book out today is called Running Against the Devil, a plot to save America from Trump and Democrats from themselves. Please welcome Rick Wilson. Thank you, Trevor. You are an interesting breed of cat, as they would say back (laughs) in the day, because you are a never Trumper, but you are still a Republican and a conservative. Does that still exist in this country? Conservative more than Republican. There's no Republican party anymore. It's dead. 
Donald Trump killed it. Like, he's like a parasite that ate its host from the inside out. It's over. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm one of the small group of survivors from, from the old school of limited government, individual freedom and liberty, constitutional adherence. You know, there's not, not many of us. You could fit us around the table at a Waffle House most days. <laughs> but, you know, we're still sort of trying to hold the line in this, in this very crazed era. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, a lot of Republicans said that before Trump mm -hmm. became president. You know, we had people like Lindsey Graham on sure. the show. We had people like, you know, Rand Paul on the show. And they, they were all like, no, this is what we, we believe in. And Trump is not a Republican. Right. He became president and they were like, he's completely a Republican. So how do you begin to convince Republican voters that Donald Trump is not a Republican or has he just redefined what that is now? And is he the new conservative? Are you now an outlier? Well, those guys are what we refer to in the business as liars and cowards. <laughs> they are afraid of Donald Trump. They still hate him. Right. They still think he is a animated piece of excrement. They do not love this guy. They are afraid of him. And the few of us who are willing to call BS on him and speak openly and speak publicly and stand against him, you know, we may be the last priests of a dying religion, but we're gonna try to uphold it as long as we can. He has broken the Republican Party. It doesn't believe in anything. Fiscal discipline, out the window. Mm -hmm. Limiting the size of government, out the window. All these things that he, that, that these guys all said were vital to them. Follow the Constitution. You know, Ted Cruz used to say he'd set himself on fire if you didn't follow the Constitution. And now he's like, yeah, whatever. It, it doesn't <laughs> matter at all to them anymore. And so they have let themselves be so debased and, and so utterly compromised that th they think we're the aliens. They think we're the outliers. They think we're the wrong ones. But I'm sorry, you got to call it like, you, like it really is. And they have given themselves over to a cult. It's interesting that you, that you say this because I, I, I do appreciate that you have not like switch sides or anything. You know, it's not like you've gone like, no, I'm now a Democrat. You're saying, no, look, I'm still a conservative. I don't think Donald Trump represents our values. No. This book is interesting because you say running against the devil, plot to save America from Trump. But then interestingly enough, you say, and Democrats from themselves. Sure. So then tell me what that means. What advice do you think you could possibly give to Democrats, even though you wouldn't exist in a world where you would normally vote for them? So for 30 years, me and guys like me built a very smart, very sophisticated system to wreck the hell out of Democratic candidates. And we did it all over the country. Until Donald Trump came along, there was a period of about 20 years where we took almost 2,000 seats away from the Democrats across the country in state legislatures, in Congress, in the Senate. We took over control of 38 state governments and legislatures over that time. We did it by being better at the root politics, at the hard politics. We did it by being willing to do things that were very tough, by running ads that were very tough and made people lose their minds. Right. And we did it by running candidates who fit with their states and districts. So look, I helped elect a Republican governor in Vermont four times. Now that is not an easy task, but our guy wasn't a perfect Republican. He wasn't a super hard right evangelical Southerner. He was a guy who fit Vermont and it worked. And the Democrats tend to have this thing of ideological homogeneousness. They want everybody to be the same policy perspective, whether you're in San Francisco or whether you're in Virginia or whether oh, you're in Alabama. And so we were able to put candidates out there who were not, you know, they didn't fit every single ideological test. Right. But we won a lot of seats that way. So, so are you saying, if I'm understanding correctly, are you then saying that Republicans have always played to win yeah. And Democrats play to be right. Democrats play to win an argument. I play to win an election. I don't care how I get to the finish line. And I, you know, except for breaking the law, and occasionally you get breaking the law adjacent. 
but <laughs> you want to make sure that you get to the goal line. And sometimes that means not saying what's on your mind. Sometimes that means saying, oh, well, look, our polling tells us Medicare for all scares the crap out of suburban right. women. But let's talk about Medicare for all, because why would we need suburban women? You know, this is the Democrats fall into these traps that they build for themselves. So then how would you how would you how would you break that then? What would what would you say to a Democrat tonight where you go like these people are running and at some point one of them is going to be head to head with Donald Trump. At some point, they're going to have to try and fight for those hundred thousand right. odd votes that swung the electoral right. college. Right? We've seen that it's not a numbers game, it's an mm-hmm. electoral college game. It absolutely so is. how would you then say to one of those people, hey, this is how you can win while still maintaining your democratic values? Right. First off, win the game before you try to start declaring the victory conditions and start saying, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Ideological promises are a trap. <clears throat> when you promise people something and build a, a plan and a policy in modern campaigns, that's an invitation for me to put my nerds to work and look through your 600-page healthcare plan and find 10 things that scare the crap out of people. Huh. And then I make ads about them. And then you run for the hills and you, look, you don't understand why people suddenly can't, can't they, they say things to you that you know aren't quite true about your right, policy, right, you get right. deeper and deeper in the weeds. But the three things a Democrat has to do in this election, they have to fight where the fight is. The electoral college, whether you love it or hate it, is the only game in town. That's the only game there is. So you got to fight in Wisconsin and Florida and Pennsylvania and Ohio and Arizona and a handful of states. The election is over in California. I know how they're going to vote. I know how Mississippi is going to vote. Those are things that are done. You got to fight where the fight is. You got to put the resources because they will not have as much money as Donald Trump unless it's Mike Bloomberg and then he has more money than God. <clears throat> you've got to put it into the states that matter. And then you've got to target in the states even more finely. And they will target you know, the Democrats are smart. They will be targeting those suburban women who are right. breaking away from the GOP. They'll be targeting those Obama Trump voters. Uh-huh. They'll be targeting those Bernie Trump voters. Right. They'll be going after narrow slices because this is a game of small numbers. It's not a game of big numbers. The most important thing, though, is the, refer- the, the election has to be a referendum on Donald Trump. It's not about policy. It's not about your health care plan, your climate change plan. All those are important and they're lovely. But it's a referendum on Donald Trump. All re-elections are referendums on the incumbent. So then, if, if, if I can say this, because we're going to have to wrap up soon, but essentially what you're saying sounds really interesting, because I, I remember saying this when I first observed Donald Trump mm-hmm. during the election. I said, and I mean, you, some people treated me like an idiot for saying it. I said, on TV, the one advantage he has is that he's playing TV. Yes. So when he says, build a wall, it translates into whatever people want to hear about immigration. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give you the specifics right. about H-1B right. visas. He doesn't give you the specifics about what immigration numbers or policies. He just gives you ideas. Trevor, his whole policy fit on a trucker hat. <laughs> you know? He, right. The, the, and, the, and you're exactly right, because what he did was play a reality TV character for 15 years, and Americans thought, oh, this guy is smart, decisive, good right, manager, right, good right. leader, good negotiator. And so he just kept playing that role. So do you think then Democrats maybe even not, if not now, need to get better at playing TV for they when they're running against This Trump. is a reality TV game. They need to be practicing that game. It's not a debating society in the Democratic Socialist Conference. It's a reality TV show. And Trump is the master of the game. They have a narrow path to victory. And I hope that this book helps them try to uh, achieve that fairly narrow path. Well, I'll tell you this. I wish I could disagree with you, but I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Thank you so much for being Thank on the show. Really Appreciate great it. having you here. <laughs> running Against the Devil is available now. Rick Wilson, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. 
follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.